Penn's Landing is a waterfront area in Philly, located on the Delaware River, bordered by Front Street to the west and sandwiched between Spring Garden Street and Washington Ave to the north and south, respectively. While William Penn didn't actually land here, but further south in Chester, the city of Philadelphia purchased the rights to use the name. In 1683, Samuel Carpenter built a wharf that could handle ships up to 500 tons, which became known as Carpenter's Wharf and has since been modernized. In the 1950s, the city began buying up large sections of abandoned waterfront property for redevelopment. plan was to take public space that had seen little to no use in a number of years and turn it into a hub of commerce. A nonprofit known as the Penn's Landing Corporation, or PLC, was devoted to the redevelopment of the area. Philadelphia mayors over the last four decades have had input into what the best course of action for the redevelopment should look like, with varying degrees of success. In 1986, the Great Plaza and Open Air Amphitheater opened, boasting terrace seating for 5,000 visitors. In the 90s, Mayor Ed Rendell took a results-now attitude regarding the several non-starter construction projects for the area, which itself was a non-starter. Only a concrete tower planned to be the Philly half of an aerial tram crossing the Delaware into Camden remains. Mayor Michael Nutter created the Delaware River Waterfront Corporation to replace the PLC. Another corporation with big plans for the area, they would create the pop-up parks known as Summer and Winterfests that continue to draw visitors. They were meant to be temporary means to generate funding for the further development of a planned road cap over I-95 and Columbus Boulevard from Chestnut to Walnut. This would create a space to host two new public spaces, a four-acre plaza and a seven-and-a-half-acre park that slopes down to the Delaware River. During the warmer months, Penn's Landing is a hotbed of activity, from festivals and free movies to beer gardens and fishing. So good evening. The idea is to transform the waterfront here. It's going to look completely different, more places for you to live, work, and shop. The continued attempts at improving the area shows the city's residents that their government is listening and committed to city renewal. By late 2020, the Philadelphia 76ers were in the market for a new stadium, and Penn's Landing was in the race to host the new site. The team, rumored to be unhappy with their current lease at the Wells Fargo, submitted a $4 billion plan to move the team to the waterfront. This, however, was squashed when rival bidder the Durst organization was granted the rights to develop the area. Currently, the Sixers share the Wells Fargo Center with the Flyers, Wings Lacrosse team, and Villanova's basketball team, and are looking to own their own facility. Wells Fargo is owned by Comcast and is leased to the team through 2031 by which point the stadium will be 35 years old. Penn's Landing stands as a glorified sandbar at the foot of Market Street. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Durst organization who won the bid was the only applicant to include an architect of international stature and was also the only proposal that didn't demand large public subsidies. Philadelphia has a history of taking underused swaths of land and attempting to turn them into entertainment meccas. The South Philly Sports Complex is another example of this. Formerly the home of the Spectrum, Veteran Stadium, John F. Kennedy Stadium, the Vets Precursor, and the Aquarama Aquarium, the complex that sits on Broad Street currently hosts all of Philly's major sports teams, along with plans for a new esports arena. At the turn of the 20th century, the area known as the Neck in what was Passayunk Township served as a shantytown, which the city looked to develop to host the Army-Navy football games, as neither Franklin Field, UPenn Stadium, nor Scheib Park, later Connie Mack, had yet been expanded. In 1926, to accommodate the Sesquicentennial International Exposition, a World's Fair-type celebration of the 150-year anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the city developed the River Delta area south of Oregon Avenue, opening JFK Stadium. At the close of this 1926 celebration, much of the Grand Boulevard that was South Broad Street was demolished, save for the stadium. 
making this one of the first of many financially unsustainable single-use areas. The city's 2020 decision to go with the Durst organization is one of the first grown-up decisions Philly has made. The city resisted the allure of the Sixers and their political influence, moving to the waterfront in favor of maintaining views of the Delaware from Center City without walling off the river with a mega attraction like a new stadium. Samuel Carpenter, born in Sussex, England in 1649, was a member of the Religious Society of Friends, commonly called Quakers. A merchant who made a fortune trading sugar in Barbados, Carpenter was a man ahead of his time. By virtue of his religious beliefs, he was a pacifist who abstained from providing military service or rendering men to provide it in his stead. For this, he was repeatedly fined by the crown thousands of pounds of sugar. While Carpenter thought the slave trade was distasteful, he was himself a slave owner, a seeming contradiction to his Quaker upbringing. Notably, a woman carpenter enslaved named Alice of Dunks Ferry, a toll collector for 40 years. In her own right, she was an oral historian who saw Philadelphia develop from a small settlement on the river to the capital of a new nation. She lived to be 116 years old. Carpenter expanded his empire into Philadelphia after liquidating his Caribbean land. He sold his property in Barbados in 1683 when local slave owners started passing laws that forced the Friends to stop preaching Christianity to the enslaved people. Upon arrival in Philadelphia, Carpenter bought a lot that extended from King, later Water Street, to Front Street. On the east side of this lot, he built a dock that would be the first built in Philadelphia. This became Carpenter's Wharf. It could handle the largest ships of the day, up to 500 tons. On the corner of Water Street and Tun Alley, Joshua Carpenter, brother of Samuel, erected Tun Tavern. Tun being the old English word for a barrel or keg of beer. This site would go on to become more famous among U.S. Marines than Crayola's Purple Crayons. November 10, 1775 will forever be known to those that served as the Marine Corps birthday. Samuel Nicholas, innkeeper of the Ton and former Quaker, was commissioned by the Second Continental Congress to form two battalions of Marines in Philadelphia. This was not the first time the Ton was used as a military recruitment bastion. In 1756, Benjamin Franklin rallied Pennsylvania militia here, to prepare to fight against Native American uprisings. Samuel Nicholas is more than the first officer in the Continental Marines. According to Marine Corps traditions, he is also considered the first Commandant of the Marine Corps. Nicholas, a Philadelphia native born in 1744, his father was excommunicated or unfriended by the Philly Quakers of the time for drinking strong liquor to excess and died when Nicholas was seven. Raised by his uncle, Atwood Shute, the mayor of Philadelphia, Nicholas attended the College of Philadelphia, what would become UPenn. Becoming a Freemason while studying there, his Masonic Lodge would frequently meet at the time. At age 31, Nicholas was commissioned Captain of Marines. He would go on to lead 234 troops in the first successful landing by Continental Marines, capturing Nassau on March 3, 1776, without a fight. A small marker on the east side of Front Street, across from Sansom Walk, commemorates the site of Tun Tavern today, as it burned down in 1781. Little remains of Carpenter's Wharf, as I-95 is currently situated over the historical site. Yet, Penn's Landing is still a thriving neighborhood on Philadelphia's riverside. Post-World War II America saw a mass exodus from cities to suburbs. As the troops came home, more land was made available for purchase from the U.S. government. With many jobs remaining in the city, these new homeowners would need a way to speedily get to the bustle of their urban workplace from the relative quiet of their suburban home. In Philadelphia, one of these pieces of infrastructure is I-95, which runs from Miami, Florida, all the way to Houghton, Maine, with Philadelphia being one of the more active regions of the highway. With plans for its construction beginning as far back as the 1930s, many iterations of I-95 were proposed before finally settling in on what we have now. These large superhighways do not come without a cost. 
And in Philadelphia, like so many other places, that cost is the neighborhood. Cities across the country are arranged into organically formed neighborhoods. When large highway projects are added to or through existing city districts, often the people harmed the most are those left behind. Penn's Landing is one of these left-behind neighborhoods. Cut off from the city by I-95 and Columbus Boulevard, Penn's Landing was once a thriving hub of commerce. From the ships that unloaded at Carpenter's Wharf to the various fishing piers, yet what remains is open space choked off by highway. In 2014, Memphis and Nashville, Tennessee underwent a rerouting of an interstate highway. Memphis City Council had concerns about the destruction of the city's Overton Park, while Nashville's citizenry had concerns about how the proposed project would affect the city's black community. In Memphis, the highway was redirected and the community park undisturbed, but in Nashville, the outcome was much different, with the highway proceeding as planned, leaving much of the city's black community devastated. Some cities across the country, like Portland, have started actively planning the demolitions of freeways with the idea that the locations could be put to better use as walkable or cyclable parks or rezoning as commercial and residential land. These highways create blight and minimize the usable land space, lowering quality of life for those that live nearby. Elevated freeways being replaced by boulevards that have higher quality landscaping than the all-concrete thoroughfares created by interstates is one option that many cities have turned to. Another option is to move the freeways into tunnels that go under the neighborhoods rather than through them. As Boston did with its Interstate 93, the central artery of the city, thus removing the city's other green monster. The plans for a new 11.5 acre park constructed over I-95 between Chestnut and Walnut Street reopens the area for comfortable pedestrian traffic while maintaining the vital artery through the city. The reclamation of this segment of usable land could potentially yield a return of $1.6 billion to the city of Philadelphia. 2050 sounds like the very distant future because many of us are still stuck mentally in the 2010s, but in truth it's less than 30 years away. The pace of current construction is very fast, but any major city changing project is guaranteed to take several years, with the trend in large cities of either removing expressways from the borders of the city or tunneling them under neighborhoods, I would expect Philadelphia and Penn's Landing to be no different. The proposed park would help revitalize the area, which in turn should boost the microeconomy of that neighborhood. A well-fed local economy will help the soon-to-be-constructed residential apartments and condos draw in tenants. The ability of a neighborhood to function semi-autonomously with most services within a walkable distance gives the neighborhood more of its own identity. Penn's Landing is sure to be an entertainment mecca within the city of Philadelphia as the summer and winter fests are sure to continue to host concerts long past the planned construction. The ice skating rink will likely be tantamount to Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. Cities are ever-changing organisms that function best when they fit the needs of the citizenry. The Delaware Riverfront has always been an important aquatic causeway, with ships stopping at Carpenter's Wharf. Colonial Americans understood this. During the suburban exodus, the highway became king. In its current stage of evolution, Philadelphia is going back to its roots of being a big city with a small town appeal. This has been Owls at Night, the student podcast from Temple University. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.